Amen. Morning, my name is Pastor Jeremy. I have the privilege of opening God's Word with us this morning. And uh, we are going through a series called Root to Fruit, the Path to Spiritual Maturity. Hey, do you have the fruit of spiritual maturity in your life? Uh, Ryan, Pastor Ryan's going through uh, every uh, fruit of the Spirit in uh, Galatians 5. Uh, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that is good fruit. And when I think of good fruit, what I think of is, uh, it's in here somewhere, Twizzlers pull and peel. I mean, this stuff is where it's at. Twizzlers pull and peel. And when uh, I think of the fruit of the Spirit, I think of this. Why, do you ask? Uh, Well, because there's nine strands. There's nine strands, and uh, Pastor Ryan has uh, gone through love and joy, and today I get peace. And quite honestly, those three, they actually kind of come together, love, joy, peace. They're kind of like a triad. So uh, Ryan took care of love. I ate that the first service. It was a mistake. Uh, And then he talked about joy. And today, I'm talking about, we're going to zoom in on just this one little strand, one little fruit of peace. But they all come together. They all come together. It's actually the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And if you have the Spirit, you get the fruit. And if you don't have the Spirit, you don't get the fruit. Luke, you look hungry. Catch. Nice catch. I knew it. I was, I was looking for the kid that was on the baseball team. Like, who can catch that during the message? Thanks, Luke. So we are going to look at peace today. And you can jot down the definition of peace. What are we talking about when we're looking at peace? Here's the definition I came up with. Peace is a supernatural confidence and calm that results from trusting God. Peace. It's a supernatural. Not natural. Confidence. Not fear. And calm. Not frantic. That results from trusting God. Our Lord Jesus talked about peace uh, the last night of his life. Uh, So you can turn in your Bibles to John 14. Uh, Who is John? First of all, who's the guy that's writing this? John was a disciple of Jesus. He was an apostle. Uh, He had a brother. His name was James. Collectively, they were called the Sons of Thunder. So we are not talking about uh, timid men here. We're talking about pretty strong men, fishermen, strong guys. And he was one of the closest disciples to Jesus. Uh, Jesus had his 12 disciples, but he also had his three, the three that were closest to him. And they were Peter, James, and John. John was one of them. When John writes in his gospel, he refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, why is that? Because John's high on himself? No, because he knows that the most important thing about him is that he's loved by Jesus Christ. What did he write? He wrote the gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he also wrote Revelation. So he wrote a decent portion of the Bible. Why did John write? Well, uh, in the book of John... He writes that you may believe that Jesus in the Son of, is the Son of God and that you may have life in his name. John writes to prove that Jesus Christ is 
the Son of God, and that you may believe in him. But one of the things that impresses me the most about this Gospel of John is um, the structure of it. What do I mean by that? I mean that uh, I want you to picture something. I want you to picture that you spent three years with Jesus Christ. Three years with Jesus Christ, and you, you saw him cast out demons. You saw him heal the sick. You saw him resurrect the dead. You saw him walk on water. And now it comes time for you to write a book, and your book has 21 chapters. You write 21 chapters on the life of Jesus Christ, the three years that you got to spend with him. And the crazy thing is, is that John spends chapters 13 through 19 on 24 hours of that time. 24 hours. Less from chapter 13 through 19. So these are important, important words. And we are going to read just a portion of them uh, from John 14, starting in verse 25. Jesus is talking to his disciples. They're probably in the upper room. They just had the Last Supper. Their feet were still smelling clean from Jesus washing them. And Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you that I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Well, we learn three things about Jesus and peace when we look into this passage, and you can jot them down there in your bulletin, and the first one is this. I must trust Jesus for peace because he alone has peace. I must trust Jesus for peace because he alone has peace. What do I mean by this? He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. So Jesus has peace. How could Jesus have peace in this situation? Maybe you don't know what situation he was facing. Um, Within 24 hours, he's dead. In this night alone, all of his friends will desert him. One of his closest disciples will betray him. Jesus is about to go through one of the worst days of his life. He's going to suffer with the religious rulers. He's then going to suffer with the Roman rulers, he was facing the hardest day of his life, and he knew it. He knew it. We all have days that we're not exactly looking forward to from time to time. If you're a high school student, maybe it's the ACT test. 
You know, you're not looking forward to that day. And sometimes, it's, sometimes it can be a little bit more serious. Uh, sometimes it can be a doctor's appointment. Other times it can maybe even be worse than that. It can be the call that you get for the results of the doctor's appointment. But we all have days that we're, we know that they're coming. And, and, and many times the, the time leading up to them is harder on us, robs our peace more than the day itself. And Jesus is in that situation at this point. Jesus, remember, Jesus was eternal. He had no beginning. When Jesus was together with the Father and the Spirit before the dawn of time, he knew there was a day that was coming. He knew there would be one day that would be worse than any other day. And it's tomorrow. And he says, peace, I leave with you. And he is at perfect peace. He is at perfect peace. He had peace. He possesses peace. And he is in the middle of a huge crisis. And it's the crisis of our life that will show us the value of peace. If peace doesn't work in the crisis, then peace isn't worth much. Peace isn't worth much. It's really easy for me to be at peace uh, when I'm in my kayak going down a river on a beautiful summer day catching fish. I don't need much peace there, but... I need peace when the trial comes. I need peace when the hardship comes. What this teaches that Jesus has peace in this situation is that peace is not the absence of trouble as much as it's the presence of God in the trouble. And it comes through trusting God. It comes through trusting that God is watching. It comes by trusting that God is working for your good. Peace is lost when trust in God is lost. If any man ever needed peace, it was Jesus Christ at this moment. No worse day coming, and he had peace. Jesus has peace. He possesses peace. But that's not enough. It's great that he has peace, But um, what really makes Jesus great is that he gives peace. You can jot that second thing down. I must trust Jesus for peace because he alone gives peace. Jesus says to his disciples again right there in verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Jesus is good. Jesus is very good. He does not need to give his disciples peace. Peace. He doesn't need to give me peace. He doesn't need to give you peace. Jesus makes the decision to give you peace. And he is standing at the ready. Do you need peace? He is standing at the ready, ready to give you peace. You know, some of my favorite people in this world, whenever I come across a person that's one, he's capable, he knows what he's doing. He's he's been down the path, capable. I love capable people. And the other thing I like is helpful people. And if you can can find a person that's both capable and helpful, that's my kind of person. I really, really love capable and helpful people. 
especially when I need something, especially when I'm not at peace. And when I think back to, okay, when was a time in your life when you really didn't have much peace? The time that comes to my head would be um, right before the birth of my middle child, uh, Levi. Now, I know that some of the women are going, you needed peace. You have to know something. I don't do well in childbirth situations. I failed Noel's birth. I did not go well. I was on the floor, cold washcloth across my head. Heather's about to get the epidural, and she's like, are you okay? So I failed. I failed miserably at my first childbirth experience. And so the second one is coming along, and uh, um, Heather is, is nine months pregnant, and I headed to church. We were at Stag, and I, I remember going uh, with my father-in-law who was in town, and I remember standing in the front and feeling all this anxiety, lack of peace, and I remember standing in the front row, you know, oh my God, he, I'm not a crier. I'm not a crier. I barely cry, but I was crying that morning. He will not delay my refuge and strength. Oh, wait, you know, not pregnant not pregnant. So I drive home, and I, I get home, and I walk upstairs, and, and uh, Heather's mom is in town, and I walk up, and I see uh, my wife. She was probably dusting or vacuuming or something like that, nine months pregnant. And she's, I'm like, are, are we, are we, are we, is it, is it, are we? So I don't know. I don't know. Well, Noel, there was an appointment, so she was induced, so Heather didn't know what a contraction felt like. So I'm like, is it a contraction? She's like, I don't know. It's just, it's just, just tight. I'm like, tight? What's tight? Like, do we have to, do we have to go? And so I'm feeling, you know, I, I probably failed the second childbirth experience as well. But all I know, this is what I know. I know as soon as I looked at her and I said, are we going to the hospital? And she's like, yeah, I think. I'm like, whew, a little bit of peace. And when we got into the car and started driving to the hospital, I felt my peace-o-meter going, going up. And then when I got to the hospital and I, I found that first nurse, and the nurse was like, Heather's like, I'm feeling a little bit of pressure. And the nurse is like, wheelchair, check him in, get him upstairs. I'm like, peace, peace. I'm gonna, and as soon as she was in that room laying down and, and in the right hands taking care of her, I had peace. I had peace. Why? Well, because I, I went to someone. There was someone that was both able and willing. Able and willing to handle my situation. And Jesus Christ is both able. He has peace. He's able to give you peace, but he is also willing. My peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Trust him. Trust him to give you peace. But we aren't so quick. We aren't so quick to go to Christ for peace. We're not so quick to go to Christ for peace because we're distracted. We're distracted by the world. We think the world will bring peace. We think that peace happens out there. If we can just change this situation in our lives, then we will have peace um, but that's not what the Bible teaches. Peace comes from Jesus. Peace comes from Jesus. 
Uh, Jesus says about the world where we look to get peace, he says right there, verse 27, uh, not as the world gives do I give to you. Uh, The world does not give peace. As a matter of fact, the world does directly the opposite of giving peace. The world actually takes peace. The world takes peace. How does the world take peace? Well, there's three things that you can jot down, three ways that the world uh, takes a peace. Number one thing you can jot down, Satan. Satan takes peace. Do you remember when Jesus was tempted at the beginning of his ministry? The Holy Spirit led him out into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days and he was hungry. And the devil came to him. And uh, the second thing that that Satan said to him is, "Uh, bow down and worship me and I will give you all of this. Satan is the ruler of this world. Jesus called him the ruler of this world. What do I mean by world? I mean um, the world system, not the planet so much, uh, the world system around you that leads people directly away from Jesus Christ and his purposes of which Satan is behind. Satan is a threat to peace. Satan's all over in these last few chapters of John. If you turn back uh, to chapter 12, verse 31, we're not quite to this final night of Jesus' life when we're in John 12. That starts in John 13, but we're close. And uh, Jesus is going to say what's what's about to go down. John 12, verse 31, Jesus says to his disciples, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Be cast out. Jesus casts out Satan. He casts him out. 13 verse 27, if you just turn over a page. uh, Jesus, uh, after giving the Last Supper to his disciples, they all wondered who's going to be the betrayer. They couldn't figure it out, and so Jesus gives a morsel of uh, bread to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Verse 27 of chapter 13. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him, into Judas. When we go back to the temptation of Jesus, after it doesn't work, Satan says, Satan departed from him and and, uh, would return to him at an opportune time. Satan is trying to take Jesus' peace. 14 verse 30 in the passage that we read this morning. 14 verse 30 said, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. But he has no claim on me. He has no claim on me. Jesus alone can give peace. The ruler of this world, he wants to take peace. He wants to take peace. Jesus offers a genuine peace. But Satan, he offers an artificial peace. 
If you look around at this world, you will find people that appear to have peace in this world. Uh, they have all of the money they need. They have all of the housing they need. They have all of the uh, possessions they need. They have this wonderful family and this bright future, and it looks like they have peace. But I tell you what, if they don't have the Lord Jesus Christ, if they were to catch a glimpse of their eternity. The peace would be gone like that. Jesus Christ alone offers us peace. Satan threatens it, but Jesus casts him out. He has no claim on Jesus. John 12, verse 31, says that he casts him out. Jesus triumphs over Satan. Second thing that the world has that can take peace is suffering. Suffering. Jesus is about to suffer greatly. Jesus is about to suffer greatly. He is going to uh, experience the hurt emotionally of friends that betray, of friends that abandon, of being left alone in the midst of his suffering. One's going to deny him. Another one's going to uh, deny he ever knew him. He's going to be uh, bound. He's going to be led to the religious rulers of the day. And once they're there, Jesus will be mocked. Jesus will be spit upon. Jesus will be struck. Jesus will be slapped. My parents went to Israel about five years ago, and they went to the, what, the house of the high priest and... Um, they're, they're sure they're not positive, um, but they, they think Jesus was kept below the high priest where there was a, uh, the high priest's house where there was room and his, his hands would have been chained to the top. There's no sleep. There's no sleep for Jesus this night. And when he wakes up, well, when he doesn't wake up because he doesn't sleep, when the sun comes up, off the pilot, then the flogging, and then the brutality of, the, of a Roman cross. Suffering. Suffering robs peace. And in this world, you will have suffering. But suffering didn't take Jesus' peace from him, and suffering doesn't need to take your peace from you. Jesus' peace works in the midst of suffering. Whatever peace this world may offer, it can be gone in an instant by suffering. John 16, verse 33, same night. You can turn there with me. John 16, 33. Jesus is telling his disciples exactly what's going to happen. In verse 33, he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus gives us peace. He overcomes the world. He overcomes the suffering, and he gives us peace. The third thing 
that Jesus was facing that, uh, that tried to take away his peace and that will try to take away ours is sin. Sin. Satan threatens peace. Suffering threatens peace. Sin threatens peace. Jesus lived a sinful life, but he is about to bear the full weight of every sin that's ever been committed across the centuries. He will be surrounded by sinful men doing sinful things with sinful emotions, and he will pay for the sins of the world. And sin, the thing that hurts so much about sin is that it separates. It separates. Sin separates us from God. Why do you think when Jesus was on the cross the next day that he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Experiencing for the first time in his life what it feels like to be separated from God the Father. He takes on our sin. Sin causes separation with God. Sin causes separation among us. It causes separation among people. Wherever you find a lack of peace, there you will find sin. But Jesus takes our sin. He takes our sin. And he offers us peace. The world does not have peace. The world cannot give peace. People look in other places for world peace. When I was in school, you know, what are you praying for today? World peace. They're still praying for world peace. The world hasn't figured out peace yet because they haven't embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ yet. And you and I believe in the same gospel if the gospel you believe in is the only hope for peace in this world. Jesus casts out Satan. He overcomes the world filled with tribulation and he takes our sin. Jesus gives us peace. But should you take it? So Jesus has it, so Jesus gives it, but do you need it? I think you do. I know I do. You need peace. That's the third point. Trust Jesus for peace because I need peace. Jesus tells his disciples, chapter 14, Verse 27, right after he says, not as the world gives, do I give to you. He says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The disciples needed peace because trouble was coming. Trouble was coming the next day. Within 24 hours, they watched Jesus die, and they're going to wonder if they're next on that cross. They will have no peace. They will be troubled. You will be troubled. You will be afraid. And Jesus will offer you the same peace. You will need peace. A peace is a universal need. Universal need. I've talked with a bunch of people about peace, and uh, I haven't found one yet that doesn't need peace in some area of their life. Pastor Ryan, when I told him, I said, yeah, I can preach that Sunday, he said uh, to me something, he's a very wise leader, he said, uh, two hours of prayer minimum go into that sermon, start praying. I'm like, okay, I got it. He said, pray for 50 people in our church that need peace. So I started writing. It wasn't hard. It wasn't hard to pray for peace. I prayed 
for young moms that have young children who it's pretty much impossible <laughs> to get any peace. When I prayed for singles that were wondering why they aren't married. I prayed for small group leaders that feel inadequate to have peace. I prayed for those whose lack of peace drives them to substances. I prayed for peace for kids whose parents aren't at peace. I prayed for spouses whose marriages aren't at peace. I prayed for parents of wandering or prodigal children that they would have peace. I prayed for peace of those that are strained under the pressures of work. I prayed for the peace of those who aren't engaged in legal battles over their children or businesses. I prayed for those that have been deeply betrayed by those that are closest to them and should love them the most. And I prayed for peace for others of you where it just seems like it's one trial after another and it doesn't give up. But I also prayed for those that have never received peace that have never received peace. Do you feel the fruit of peace in your soul? Do you have peace? If you don't have peace in your soul, I, I beg you, stop looking around you for peace and instead look inside of you. I beg you to stop looking around at situations in your life thinking that if only they would change, then I could have peace. And I trust you to go to the one and only place that gives you peace, which is the cross of Jesus Christ. Because we know that if peace worked for him, and if we know that he's there for us, and if we ask him for peace, he'll give it. Have you trusted Christ alone for peace? Do you feel peace inside of your soul? Do you see peace in your relationships? If not, we're talking fruit to root. If you don't have the fruit of peace in your life, in your soul, it's because you never rooted yourself in Christ. This is you. We've got a picture of a tree. Why no fruit? Why no fruit? Because the roots are pulled. The roots aren't down into Jesus Christ. And those of you who put, and it can be any of you, the deeper that you put your roots into Christ, the deeper you go into the person of Jesus Christ, the more peace you will have. There are people in this church that have endured horrible, horrible things, the worst news from doctors, the worst relational things, and they have peace. They have peace because they're rooted in Jesus Christ. Are you rooted in Jesus Christ? Have you gone to Christ and asked him for peace? Peace was lost in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3, when sin entered the world, peace left. Hey, childbearing was supposed to be peaceful. 
Marriage was supposed to be peaceful. Work was supposed to be peaceful. But those things aren't peaceful anymore because something broke, and it broke in Genesis 3 in the garden, and what broke was sin. What broke was sin. But Jesus comes back and he says, I can get rid of that sin, and I can bring back your peace. But the greatest peace that was broken wasn't between man. The greatest peace that was broken was between man and God. Romans 5 is one of the clearest teachings on this. It teaches uh, that when you were born, you were born not at peace with God. You were born at war with God. And you need to be reconciled to God in order for you to have peace. But Jesus alone has this peace to offer you. Verse 28 in chapter 14, it says, You heard me say to you, I am going away. Well, where are you going, Jesus? He's telling his disciples, You've heard me tell you, I am going away. Where are you going? He's going to the cross. He's going to the cross to pay for your sin. And then he keeps talking. He says, I am going away and I will come to you. I will come to you. Well, what does that mean? It means that Jesus Christ it will raise from the dead and he will go back to his disciples. I am going away, but I am coming back. Jesus Christ dies for your sin and rises so that one day too you may raise to new life. Jesus is the only source of peace. And there's two types of people. In this room, there's those that have peace with God and there's those that don't. Do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God? Do you have peace in your soul? Those of us that don't have peace with God, it's because that we never trusted Jesus alone as our Savior. Those that don't have peace. They don't have the peace of God because they didn't get peace with God because peace comes from God. If there's one thing I learned in my preparation for this message and one thing I hope you take is that you don't look anywhere else for peace. It's found in one person and his name is Jesus Christ. It is the one name where we can find peace. Jesus has peace. Jesus gives peace. And if we actually look at Ephesians 2 verse 14, we'll put it up on the screen for you. He is our peace. He has it. He gives it. He is it. He is the one that tears down the dividing wall of hostility on the cross between you and God. He is our peace. Have you trusted him? Have you trusted him for peace? If you haven't, I want to give you an opportunity today as we bow our heads to get peace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just thank you so much for your word and I thank you, Lord, for sending your son, Jesus Christ, Lord, to give us peace with you. Lord, I pray for those in this room that don't have peace in this world. Lord, I pray that they would 
by faith, trust you for peace. And I pray that the fruit of peace would fill their lives as they become more and more rooted in you, Lord. But I also uh, lift up those, Lord, that have never come to you for the peace that they need the most. Peace with you. And Lord, I just pray for anyone out there and they can pray along with me in their hearts that needs peace with you by just saying, uh, Father, I admit that I am the reason that we are not at peace. That my sin has separated me from you and has made it impossible for us to have peace, Lord. But today I am trusting in your Son, Jesus Christ, as the one and only way for me to have peace with you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for coming and giving us peace. Thank you, Lord, for the peace that we have now that is only a first fruit of the peace that we will one day have in its entirety when we are with you forever, Lord. Keep us rooted in you. Keep us trusting you alone for peace. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.